Our goal with our leader chats is to provide our educational leaders with pragmatic input, advice, and direction that adds to their skill set and perspective. It's fair to say that we nailed it with this episode due to the work of David Noble and Carol Kaufman. Their book, Real-Time Leadership, is one we highly suggest you look into right away. When you listen to their wise advice, likely you will understand why. One thing that is great about this discussion is that their leadership expertise, in fact, does not only pertain to education. Jeff always aims to make sure our content is well-rounded, so as leaders, we are always trying to look beyond our own field to learn and grow. By the way, I'm Chris Richard, the producer of the show. If you like our leader chats, please rate us or leave a comment. We always appreciate listener feedback and would love to hear more from you. Enjoy. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. My name is Jeff Rose, and I want to remind those either listening or watching of what I often remind you of. If you're a member of the Leadership Circle, you have the opportunity to watch this video, um, whether when we post it live or when we send it to you. And of course, our concept is trying to find really important content, really important information and perspectives and bring them to you in a very kind of pragmatic, digestible way. And in the meantime, some of you are listening via our podcast as we make that publicly available. And um, you may not watch the video, but you also have the opportunity to kind of listen to these incredible rock star experts that we bring to the table on your behalf. And so I have this, I have a great job. Obviously, I have challenges like everyone, but one of the treats I have is this. I get to be exposed to, and I get to search for these incredible leaders, these people that take me further in terms of my own knowledge and understanding. And so every week I find myself learning so much. Let me tell you very quickly how these two guests that I'm going to introduce here in a second, and I say, yes, there's two guests with us today, how they came to me. One of our facilitators who helps us with some of our grouping strategies and uh, when we engage our leaders around a roundtable um, came to me and said, I just read this article. Y- you have to read it. Uh, it's called The Power of Options by David Noble and Carol Kaufman. And just just check it out and send it to me. It was, um, it was by the Harvard Business Review. And I read it. And like many things, I found myself just highlighting the heck out of it. So I kind of thrashed the article through notes and highlights and so forth. And then I came to realize in reading it that the, these two have a book coming out. So, you know, called Real-Time Leadership, Find Your Winning Moves When Stakes Are High with David Noble and Carol Kaufman. So I saw that and I think, okay, this is going to give me more information based upon what I started to read. So I went and ordered that. I pre-ordered it. And then I got the notion, like I often do, is I, I have to reach out to these two. And so I did. And through our ways, we, of course, begged and nagged to have the conversation. I met the two of them, found myself once again writing copious notes as we're chatting, preparing for this show. So I'm very, very excited to bring this content and their perspective and their knowledge and expertise to you. Let me tell you a little bit about them, just a little bit. David Noble. David Noble is the founding, the founder of U Advisors, a consulting firm that works globally with CEOs, their teams, CXOs, board of directors, investors, and star athletes on leadership and strategy. 
In 2021, David was named by Thinkers 50 as one of the world's top coaches and as a member of the Marshall Goldsmith MG100 group of leaders and coaches. David brings a rare combination of leadership, strategic, and operating lenses through his advisory work based over three decades of experiences as an operating executive as well as a consultant to senior leaders. Carol Kaufman... Carol is an international leader in the field of coaching, an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School, a visiting professor at Henley Business School, and a senior leadership and advisor at uh, Egon Zedner. I hope I said that correctly. She'll correct me if I was wrong. At Harvard, she launched the annual Coaching in Leadership and Healthcare Conference, one of the most highly attended events in HMS. Her professional development program, Leader as Coach, won Harvard's inaugural program award for cultural of excellence in mentoring, and she has been rolled out throughout, which has been rolled out throughout the entire United States. I am so excited for this conversation because I've had a chance to meet these two, and so let me invite both David and Carol to the screen. David, Carol, welcome, and we're, everybody, we're going to cross our fingers that all of our connections stay because David has been working very hard to make sure that he could get online with us today. So we we hope you stay with us the entire show. So welcome. I appreciate this. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be here. Same here. I'm glad to be here. So I, I condensed your bios, as you know, that I told I would, but there's, you know, there, there's a whole part of the story that I did not tell. So maybe you could give us some of your background, maybe your why, the narrative of the two of you, specifically to what brought you to even create this content and write this book that we're looking forward to, I'm looking forward to, to, to reading when I'm holding it in my hand. Sure. Well, I can start. Carol can um, supplement, which is the way we work. I either start or she starts, and we supplement each other. Um, and that's been a great partnership for many years. So we, we've each had our own coaching practices for at least a decade where we work top of the house with public sector leaders, private sector, non-for-profit, um, NGOs and the like. And we've um, always enjoyed working with our clients and learning from our clients. Um, one day we happened to be together when um, Carol was coaching the new CEO of a Fortune 200 company. And I was working with the top leadership team. She was having a coaching session with the CEO and I wandered by at the office and the two of them invited me in. And what we found over the course of that conversation was that um, Carol's probably the best or is the best behavioral coach on the planet. And I bring a strong operating and strategic insight to my coaching work as well as the behavioral side. And we found in conversation with the CEO, the two-on-one, we were just so much more impactful. So, you know, we don't miss a lot in our coaching sessions, but what I would miss, Carol would pick up on, and what Carol would miss, I could pick up on. And that complementarity of our personalities, our experiences, and our insights was really a service to our, to our um, CEO client. Caroline, do you want to correct David? I mean, what, what, did, what did he miss or, you know, what what did he say that was maybe, you know, in incorrect that you'd like to jump in on? Well, um, our, our, our combination of what we do is really um, quite remarkable in terms of, you know, David was a, you know, as you heard, he was a managing partner of two different strategy firms, et cetera. I come from a background of clinical psychology 
and working with trauma survivors and then switching over to uh, leadership coaching. And I think together, what it when, what often happens, and it's it's very startling, is we had one one client who had had spoken with David previously, and then me, because sometimes we'll do it together, and then sometimes he'll meet with it, and then I'll meet. And she said, um, "Okay, this is weird. You both wound up saying the same exact thing to me as the as my main challenge, but you came to it from completely different perspectives." So it's really fascinating Venn diagram where we come from very different worlds, but we often see the same thing. We just see it in, in different ways, but come to the same conclusion. So that being the case, your, your partnership, what it sounds like is that, you know, there's this complementary role, right? In terms of we both have strengths and challenges with, and uh, as you've kind of leaned in together to, to create this content, did you find yourself both bringing content and then working out together? Have you, has this kind of been cultivated over, you know, kind of years and just through constant kind of mm -hmm. testing and experience because, and, and we're going to get into it in a second, but I'm just curious, how do two people with, you know, perspectives and backgrounds like yourself come together to say, this is what we want to recommend to the world? Well, we, we basically discovered that we must be siblings because we get along so well. Um, so that was a, a great way to start the partnership. But I really think that Carol and I at our, are at our very best when we're co-creating together. So when we're figuring out how to crystallize all of our experiences and, you know, hopefully our insights that will be of service to others, that um, when we're in the moment, whether it's face-to-face -face or even just um, riffing over a, a virtual connection, um, that's when we're at our best. And that's what we love doing together. Great. Yeah. So what I remember is it was 2017 and David and I were in New York at the Egon Zender offices and we were at the whiteboard and David was like, so what do we actually do anyway? How do we pull it all together? So we just started going through everything we do with our clients and wrote it down in one really, really, really long list and then started dividing it up like what are the themes? And then from that, we started looking at the backbone of the book, which is, you know, that there's three dimensions of leadership that we need to be mindfully alert to. Then there's at least four ways, um, options to move forward. Then it divided into the vantage point, you know, how are you actually looking at things? And then E, how do you engage and affect change? So David is a, a, extraordinarily logical. So we have just threw all this stuff and then David sort of figured out and came up with this fabulous acronym called MOVE, M-O-V-E. So from whiteboard to columns to factor analytic kind of clusters to the buck. Awesome. Well, you know, what, what, what brought me to this conversation, as I mentioned in the intro, was um, this article, right? The Power of Options. And l let me just tell you kind of what, what, what struck me or kind of slapped me in the face around it. Oh, uh, because what I know, leaders right now in education are experiencing a significant challenge of just reacting to what has been described as the tyranny of the urgent. They are <clears throat> constantly bombarded with day-to-day -day dilemmas and challenges and, and find themselves um, reacting. I mean, trying to get through the day and solve complicated problems that just come to their desks that are unexpected. And 
Unfortunately, I know many of them who are so burdened don't have the time or the capacity to start to consider what is their strategy. And so what I really appreciated and the power of options is it, it, it kind of articulated some very specific strategy and these four stances, lean in, lean back, lean with, and don't lean. And I'm not going to summarize those. I'm going to ask you to summarize those. But what was helpful for me is that this created this kind of these category, these categories and strategies that would be so helpful for people to have in the back of their head as things are just coming fast and furiously at them. I'm hoping that makes sense, but maybe can you walk us through the those four those four stances specifically and how you have found them to be impactful? Sure. Should I start, David? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Um, where it came from is uh, evolutionary psychology, and our four main reflexes are fight, flight, freeze, and befriend. And if you think befriend is an instinct, just imagine a toddler in front of an oncoming bus, and you don't go, gee, should I? No, you, you grab the person. Right. So we think of that as the stances. So imagine if you're a tennis player, your stance will be different if what's coming at you requires a forehand or a backhand or to go up to the net. You've got stances to life. So bring that back to the reflexes and you probably kind of are drawn to one of those. So we translate that into leaning in, which is, um, so let's say that, let's say that, you know, you've got a significant challenge at your school. It could be you're being, you know, harassed by parents or whatever, but we'll say that's the, the stimulus that, that you have and how do you choose to respond? So you could respond by leaning in and like really engaging in the conflict and thrashing it out and debating. And that's one often effective strategy, but sometimes not. Mm -hmm. Or you could lean back and sort of be very rational, look at the overview and avoid the conflict if possible. Or you could lean with, with the nurturance and really say, you know, these, these parents actually really need caring and help. And how can I create that atmosphere to have a win-win? Or to not lean at all, which is, you know, when the parents are coming with you and they're really mad about class sizes or something, you even have the capacity to not get triggered and not respond, but just take in what they're saying and see, well, what solution comes to mind? So, Carol, I can't imagine why you came up with that ex those examples, because those things would never happen. And, you know, uh, you know, a rational, really focused school. Um, clearly, I'm kidding. So it's the perfect example. Um, yeah. So you could, from, from all that you studied then, as, as you, if you describe kind of those, those, those stances, how, how or why is it important from your perspective for leaders to be, to, to have a strategy kind of in the back of their minds or kind of in, in, in their pockets, so to speak, so they know how to react or to have the discernment on how to react to different situations. David? Well, look, I think Carol's example, which is a fabulous example, was around having more options and a strategy to deal with interpersonal situations. And I think um, that's a really important component of what we do, but it goes broader than that. So when you're thinking about strategy in terms of what you want or need to accomplish, whether it's in the long-term, medium-term, or the short-term, uh, 
you know, it's, it goes without saying almost that it's really important to be crystal clear on your goals uh, because these days you don't have a minute to waste. So you don't want to be working on anything that's absolutely not on target. So when you think about that, how can you be sure about um, whether you're doing something that has the highest priority, the highest impact that really moves the needle? Um, and often we get our, our short-term strategy wrong. So an example would be, um, I need to go into my school district and I need to get a major capital expenditure approved, and that's my goal. Um, and when you really rethink that, maybe your goal is, I think what I need to do is to have the board really have a, have a voice and everyone on the board have a voice so that they can feel heard and that we can come to a better proposed solution and I'll get this approved the next time around. So that's a simple example, but it happens all the time. And then within strategy, it's like, you have these reflexes that you have. So often we'll go like, yeah, my playbook when I face anything is I'm gonna make a bunch of small moves, I'm gonna move fast, and that's all gonna add up into a big strategy. Well, that's great, <laughs> but that's only one kind of way to go forward, right? What if you can't do that? What if you're confronted with the need to make like a massive decision bigger than you've ever made in your life? That requires a different lens on strategy. So we help you come up with multiple ways to think about strategy and multiple ways to win. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I have to assume then, as you're as you're describing this, this kind of this the interplay between the, the short term and the long term goals and strategies, you, you must find leaders really intrigued in that. Um, what what I see and understand being that they sometimes are so busy and burdened that maybe they don't have a strategy at all. It's not as though they, they have a strategy in their gut relative to what they think is the right thing to do. But the way that they react to scenarios isn't aligned always to what do I want my ultimate outcome to be? And then therefore, how do I navigate this short-term dilemma in front of me? I have to. I have to assume that's not just in the educational world. <laughs> must you're laughing? So help us understand, or at least let our educators and leaders know that um, they're not crazy. That this is this is elsewhere <laughs> as well. No, none of you are crazy. You're actually being rational. So um, you know, when I talked about the need to make every moment count, often the way leaders do that, um, whether it's in education or other fields, is they really rely on their pattern recognition. So, you know, years of experience suggests that when you see A happen and then when you see B happen, you kind of reflex and you know that C is the right answer. And that actually serves us really well in day-to-day -day familiar kind of challenges. Uh, but when we're facing something brand new and disruptive, something that's either a, a new type of crisis or maybe a huge opportunity that we've never faced before, it might be something around, um, you know, how do I attract, retain, and develop more teachers? Um, how do I deal with the rapidly evolving landscape around social issues? Um, then relying on your reflexes um, might take you in exactly the wrong direction and may even hurt you. And that's why Carol and I came up with this framework, which allows you to overcome your reflexes when you need to by creating space and then talking about the move model, which is how to make the most of that space you've created so you can deal most effectively with the challenge. So um, you're not alone, but um, this book can help you be an even better leader, we think. Mm -hmm. So let me pipe up about that. Please. Um, 
So first of all, what, what David just referred to about making space, in the beginning of the book, we do a quote from Viktor Frankl, which is, you know, between every stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our freedom. But then it's like, okay, freedom to do what? <laughs> like, how can you use that, that, that space? So one of the ways is what David was referring to, which is your three-dimensional demands. What do I need to do? Who do I need to be? How do I need to relate? Then for each of those, the four options that we talked about. And one sort of way to think about it is imagine somebody has a, a piece of granite like a bowling ball and they throw it at you. Do you throw it back? Do you catch it and look at it? Do you take, do you just like metabolize the burn that is given to you and maybe talk to the person who threw it? Or do you choose not to pick it up at all? And what I like about that in terms of strategy is the images of lean in, do I lean in, do I lean back, do I lean with, do I not lean? That takes strategy kind of into your bones so that you kind of don't have to like think it all through. You can create a new reflex. And one of the things is it's all about the reps. So for all of you guys, how can you be taking what you hear today and practice, 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 bring it to your conversations, start small, and then, you know, like weight training, sort of build up those muscles. And, you know, the good news, uh, Carol, to your earlier example, is that um, leaders are always going to have lots of opportunities to practice. And therefore, the opportunity is to ensure that when they're practicing, they're intentional, which, you know, you say, you know, the, these kind of four stances can remind people. And, and, and I would agree the fact is, if you describe the, the the lean, right, and and how to lean, that does have kind of this 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 sticking power, as opposed to it creating this complex complexity that sometimes is 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 hard to remember. So I can definitely appreciate that. We also talked about this theme that I want to bring to the table of you know resiliency, um, and I know you have some things to say about that, and that stuck with me only because leaders that we support and what we're noticing in the field of education, number one, we're seeing the biggest turnover that we've ever experienced in this country that we, since we've tracked it, and from principal all the way up through superintendent. And that being the case, those that are still in the seat or who are just entering the seat, um, resiliency is um, extremely relevant for them to think about and learn about and consider. So. Um, maybe you can kind of walk us through some of the things that you have to say about resiliency. That's for you, Carol. <laughs> well, now I'm curious why Carol, there's gotta be a reason. Carol's the resilient she's the, one. She's one of the leading experts on resiliency. I'll, okay. I'll come in and like backfill. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. You can give the thumbs up. Go ahead, Carol. Yeah, I actually wrote the first paper on resiliency. Um, one of the first papers that was published in, I don't look it, but 1979. So um, first step in resiliency, there's many. One of the things we talk about in the book is something called the five C's. So, okay, how, how do you get resilience? Again, it's something you practice. You know, some of us have lucky genes and so we tend to be calm, other of us not so much. So about 50% of it is sort of uh, genetic or epigenetic. So, okay, put that to the side, you have 50% left. So um, 
One is the five C's. Let me walk you through those. And the other one is really relying on your strengths and noticing what's good about you and what you've done, not just where you know you can jump up to. So the five C's, I'll name them first, which are just being calm, clear, curious, compassionate, and courageous. So in one way, those are pretty self-evident. But now imagine you're going into that room and you've got a bunch of parents that are all really unhappy because your class size is going up two people. And you're thinking, seriously, this is a crisis? But it is for them. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I have observed this and, and, and have learned not to eye roll. But as you're going into that meeting and you know you're going to be faced with some people who are calm and other people who are not, what about you? So as you're going in the meeting, you can think, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how calm am I? How can I do diaphragmatic breathing, slow myself down, so that I can raise the amount that I'm calm. One path to resilience. Another one is how clear am I? You know, um, are my thoughts clear? Am I scattered? Am I confused? On a scale of one to ten, you know, what, what, how, how clear am I? And let's say it's a five. Then you can say to yourself, well, what am I doing right that it's not a four? So there's calm and clear, and then there's curious. So when all these, I mean, here's not just one bowling ball being thrown at you. It's like you know a hailstorm. Um, how can you ask one more question? So when somebody says something, how can you be curious and practice that? Find out more, go across the bridge to where they are, which is also part of being compassionate. So curious and compassionate often go together, but how curious are you? Can you ask another question? How compassionate are you? Can you walk across the bridge and see the world as they do? not as you do. And then maybe if you can bond with them, you can back up over the bridge a step at a time and see who comes with you. But again, you can think on that scale of one to 10, how compassionate am I? And how can I be more compassionate in this moment to these people? Then how courageous am I on a scale of one to 10? Can I be good about knowing what I think, feeling the capacity to be authentic, while at the same time being sensitive to the people that you're talking with. So those are the five C's. And then maybe David could speak a bit to strengths and really seeing what your strengths are. Yeah, thanks. So you're gonna see how different but complimentary we are when I answer this. Um, I'm so, ready. Um, <laughs> as a leader for many years, um, I was, I, I think, quite typical in that um, when I was getting reviewed or getting feedback, um, I always skipped over my strengths and just said, what do I need to work on? Uh, but it's only, only being a coach where I truly realize and feel in my bones that we do use our strengths to create a bridge to work on things that we need to work on. So really knowing your strengths and what you project and how you might use it in a different way is really powerful. So for example, if I'm you know, at the edge of a cliff and I need to jump over that cliff to the other side, um, how am I going to do that? So obviously, if I'm injured in some way, I'm not going to run and do a long job. Um, so I might use my other strengths of being able to find assets on one side of the cliff to kind of bridge to the other side of the cliff. So that's an example. Two other things I think that surround this idea of five C's of settling yourself and stepping into your best self. Um, one is that um, you know, we all tend to be kind of stars in our own movies, and uh, it's truly important to get some perspective about things that we influence versus things that we control. 
So if you start to over-identify with a situation that you can only partly influence and not control and don't accept that, that is not going to contribute to your personal resilience. Um, acceptance and understanding while still working as hard as you can and doing whatever you can is kind of the best thing. The other thing that Carol and I often do, and this is so profoundly important um, at the top of the house and for senior leaders, is that, um, you know, I'm going to be say a gross generalization, but 80% of the day can really be a drag <laughs> because you're <laughs> dealing with a lot of stuff that you would prefer not to deal with, maybe dealing with a lot of people that you would prefer not to deal with. So how do you, how do you kind of transform that? How do you use a little bit of alchemy so that becomes not only tolerable, but something you can embrace? And for us, it's about really understanding your personal meaning and purpose to be clear on what your contribution is as being part of this planet. Like, who are you and why are you here? Because once you can do that, um, you can talk all day long to people that you wouldn't otherwise want to speak to. It's like, no problem. It's in the service of my contribution as a top leader in education. So those are, those are all factors that can build resilience. Let me, let me jump in for half a yeah, second. Please. One thing that David said, because um, I want, here's what I want. I want for y'all who are, are, are listening to have something with you at your fingertips at your next stressful moment. Okay. So one thing is when you are bombarded and part of you just wants to run screaming at the room or scream at the people in the room, um, how can you click yourself back by thinking about how can I be of the most service right now? You know, cause how do you find, you know, purpose is a little ephemeral, but if you really just ground it into the question that works for you. So for me, it's when I'm under stress, it's how can I be of the most service right now? Not how can I be smart? How can I look good? Um, nothing, just how can I be of service? So overcoming our ego and really being of service is just enormously helpful under stress. And that's how you put what David talks about with your purpose, et cetera, into the moment. So I'm speaking now to our listeners, um, or whether you're watching or they're listening. This is precisely why this 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 topic and this content is so important because the the, the days in the life of an executive leader in school systems, um, you are constantly navigating things you are not prepared for, and so having strategies that you are that you can pull out, having stances that um, you can react to as opposed to just getting through the scenario is critical. It's why. The, these concepts are so critical in the world of educational leadership. So I'm speaking to our listeners. David and Carol have already told you this. This is why I was begging you to come. So thank you. But I have a couple of follow-up on that. So Carol, you mentioned this piece around 50%. You said 50% of one's uh, ability to kind of navigate um, is some, whether maybe that's innate or natural. Um, and the other 50%, you know, can be learned and, um, you know, one can improve upon, which, by the way, is really important for people to hear. Sometimes people assume that leadership strategies are just you're born with them or you're not. Um, mm -hmm. Personally, I don't believe that. I do believe there are some, you know, natural people naturally drawn to leadership, but I think people can learn leadership skills to be very good at what they do. But can you walk us through a little bit about that 50% comment only because I, I made a note and then David, I have another question for you specifically on a follow-up too, so. Yeah, 
So the 50% is from the epidemiological level, but, um, you know, so like take me and David, uh, we are super different from each other. David is naturally calm and clear and has really learned, you know, you know, he, he came from, you know, financial background, financial services. He was a banker, started the world's first internet bank, digital bank, for God's sakes. He's a, he's primed, but he's very calm. Okay, so he, that's his strength. That's his superpower. So he goes to leadership from a place of being very calm. Now, he's developed that calm through meditation and personal growth, but he may start out that way. I am not calm. I am very energetic. I tend to be anxious. If I'm overstimulated, I get confused and forget what I think. I come from a different place. Instead, I'm like super fast on my feet and I can be very self-compassionate. So I can lead with compassion pretty easily and have a sense without thinking about what are the other person's strengths, et cetera. So it's like, yeah, we all come to the table with a certain set of, um, you know, capacity for attachment, activity level. You know, you can look at a three-year-old and have a sense of their activity level and that will stay with them for life. So how do you like whatever it is, accept who you are, try to be the best you. So if I try to be the best me, I'll have a shot. If I try to be the best, like I think I should be like David, I'm doomed. So for everyone, really go with and build on your natural tendencies. Don't try to be someone else. Try to be the best you. Okay, so and David was talking very specifically about you know kind of recogni uh, recognition and use of your own personal strengths, right? As opposed to, like you said, when you're evaluated, naturally you focus on your own weaknesses in that situation. So I'm curious, if we think about the, the five C's and kind of embracing um, the different strategies there, David, you were mentioning strengths. Do you think that when a person is facing a, uh, a dilemma or a challenge, that the use of the five C's, is it based upon the use of your natural strengths or is it situational? Is it having an awareness that a situation like this you know, calls for me to really um, be courageous? Hmm. Or does a person think, you know what, I'm just good at being courageous. So hmm. how would you describe maybe the, the nuance and the decisions that go into the strategy aligned to the C's? And I hope that makes sense. Oh yeah, great question. So it just, it reminds me of the first safari that I went on and um, I was, doing a lot of work around peak performance at the time and, you know, out there um, with the lions, literally. And, and I was just thinking, you know, um, a lion isn't thinking about whether the lion or lioness, he or she are, um, you know, the best lions on the planet, whether they're going to kill more effectively or feed their families more effectively than anybody else. They're just lions. So that's kind of their identity and their natural strength to leverage. So, you know, the five C's are, useful in a couple of dimensions. So the, the first way that we think about them is just as a settling mechanism. So just naming where you're at in those kind of inner states, those emotions can be settling. So it doesn't mean that you are not activated across all those states or, um, you know, or not strong. What it means is naming those can help to settle you. So that's kind of the first reason that we use that, the way to help create space so you don't reflex. Now, stepping into each of those five C's, the courage, the compassion, and so on, 
is another thing. That's a coaching element. So first of all, you've got to decide what do you want to work on? Let's pick a seat. Let's say it's curiosity. So how do you work on that? And that's something that you can actually consciously work on. So your point about leaders being grown and not necessarily made is absolutely right. So we would coach you through by starting out to think like, say, if I was a 10 out of 10 on curiosity, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What would people be saying about me um, that were experiencing me? Then you can ask yourself like, well, where do I think I am right now on that scale of one to 10? And let's say I'm, I'm a six. It's something I really want to work on. So, you know, everyone's now waiting for the next question, which is now how do you go to a 10? which is exactly the wrong question. <laughs> so the real question that follows next is, what are you doing right that you're not a five? So this is like, really, it's like mental jujitsu in some way. It's changing your mindset around what's missing into what's right. So this is the strengths discussion that we were talking about. So, well, here's, here's all the things that I'm curious. You know, when, I, when I'm interested in a topic, I'm gonna ask a zillion questions. So when I'm less interested, I'm going to ask less questions. Okay, there's a clue there. So then how do we then close the gap little by little? Because if you try and go from a 6 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10 in one shot, that's going to end in tears. <laughs> you, might, you might momentarily experience that, but it's, you're going to slide back and there's going to be disappointment, frustration, and you might give up. So instead, what Carol and I offer is what's a micro behavior that you can do? So a micro behavior and curiosity might be, well, uh, even if I'm not interested, I'm gonna just ask one more question. I'm gonna find one more question. And that might take me from a six to a 6.5. And if that kind of question is something, yeah, I can do that. Like I'm actually motivated to do that. It's not too big a stretch and I'm confident I can do that. So I'm gonna do it. So little by little, and as Carol said, through repetitions, that's how we grow. That's how we become a new us and become more curious. So that's just an example. That's a great example. Okay, so um, I have had in my career, like like the two of you have had, you know, numerous positions and leadership roles. You know, from a elementary school principal, high school, and different size districts where I've been, you know, uh, in charge of kind of leading. For example, I. I was in a system that was as large as 100,000 students, 1.5 billion a year budget. And I thought that was complicated. Mm. Um, I left before COVID. So mm. I left the seat uh, not knowing, of course. Um, I transitioned prior to what we're currently seeing school systems facing. So what I used to think was challenging and complicated um, was not in comparison to what we experienced during and post COVID and the, 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 the crazy political challenge that we're facing in terms of, well, y you know what that looks like in this country and it, the job has become harder. I think leading in times of just, a, you know, just there's not clarity. Things are moving so fast. I'm curious about the timing of this book. I mean, so when I start hearing and thinking about the content, I can think that would have been really important for me to have had. But I also think, I think it might be more important for people to have right now. Have you had thoughts specifically to the timing of this book and maybe that the timing is just very pristine? 
Mm. Well, we were certainly writing this during COVID, given that it was over the past two years that we put, you know, <clears throat> I'd say pen to paper, but since, since we started rattling our keyboards. Um, but in it, I think there's one key question, because, you know, we all knew, you know, most of us have heard of the expression VUCA, things are volatile, um, amb you know, uncertain, chaotic, and um, <clears throat> help me out, what's you for again? Complex, Un ambiguous. Complex. Oh yeah, ambiguous. Right. Thank, yeah. thank you, brain, brain zap. But then um, now it's really VUCA squared or cubed. So you yeah. know, if you look through the real-time leadership, I think what we were thinking at this time was of, of all of the things we talk about, three dimensions of leadership, what you need to do, external, internal, interpersonal. Do you lean in, lean back, lean with, you know, or, or don't lean? You check out your vantage point, you know, are you clear? Have you the right resolution, breadth, depth, all that. One thing I think of all these, one question will help you the most. So there you are. You can't be certain about your outcome variables, right? But you can try to be who you want to be. So the question is, you know, there you are, and you know, there's, there's, it's a chaos to ask yourself, okay, who do I want to be right now? You know, how can I be of service right now? And to use that as your ballast. So if you really dedicate yourself to your own personal growth, to your capacity to emotionally regulate, to the five C's, these things are going to carry you through so that your reflexes um, transcend you because, you know, the, the killer is ego. Um, if you're really thinking, how am I looking? Can I impress? It's not going to bring out your best you. It's going to be interference. So um, at Harvard Business School, they talk about leadership as no do and be. And the be, who you're being, what you're emanating is really the most important. And you can be not necessarily in charge of that, but more likely to be able to be in charge of that than any outcome. You know, Carol, you mentioned at the beginning in terms of uh, your your partnership between the two of you that there was this whiteboard activity um, mm -hmm. where at one point you said, let's get things on the whiteboard relative to the things that we know or focus on some of our models, et cetera. Um, that, that was not a one day, that was not a one hour meeting. That um, must have been a, a weeks uh, on work on a whiteboard. Uh, I just, I'm just trying to imagine even based on this conversation, everything that went on that whiteboard. I still remember it. David, I think I took a picture of it. I'll have to go find it. Yeah, we've got photos. Well, you know, it's it's been years in the making, Jeff. And the thing that's um, wonderful and frustrating is that it never ends because we continue to evolve our thinking. And, you know, we're, we're very committed to the principles in the book, too. Nothing in the book is something that we haven't um, tested on ourselves and has some impact on ourselves. So that personal growth edge of always, um, you know, expanding and getting better and getting more insight, you know, we're living that. So you know, there'll be version two <laughs> at some point in time, but you know, you got to put a stake in the ground at some point in time and, and write the book, which mm -hmm. is what we did. So final question that I'll ask that, that I always ask, um, I, re I remind our guests that our model in the leadership circle is leaders helping leaders. So it's a very kind of a collaborative process and we have systems. The one thing we do to um, provide relevant content is this. 
most of the time we're gathering people and have protocols where they're helping each other. So if you can imagine yourself with me and we're gathered around a table and a, around the table are principals, deputy superintendents, superintendents, executive leadership and school systems. And you know, you only had a limited amount of time and you wanted to leave them with something, your kind of final words or advice, what would you say to them around that table? One of the first things I would do, by the way, and I'd like you guys to try this at uh, your next meeting, is this isn't what you would leave them with. This might be what you would start them with, which is to go around and each person to think about over the past week or so, when were you at your best? Not Olympic best, but you were um, either felt energized or really engaged, you know, so you lost a sense of time even, or when you really feel, you know, that really had a lot of meaning and find that story um, and share it, share you at your best. And what you find is it creates a positive virus. This is something that I worked on with um, Marty Seligman years and years ago. So I would actually say, do that. Really think about what is it this week that energized you, engaged you, or has a meaning, and remember it. Because negative things are like Teflon, and no, negative things are like Velcro, and they will stick to your brain. And positive things are like Teflon and will slide out unless you go after them and grab them. And I think of this as how to be happier in no extra time, because you are looking at what you've accomplished. So as you guys are aware of the challenges that are facing you, do the discipline of looking at what's gone right. Good advice. I'm gonna tell this actually to my wife when I come home uh, upset and complaining about my day that she can ask me, but let me ask you this, when were you at your best? That's, that will be advice for her as well, I appreciate it. How about you, David? So Carol and I are all about being practical and actionable. So what she just talked about is actionable. So I, and by the way, our very first review from Publishers Weekly said, um, this is an incredibly pragmatic and helpful book. <laughs> so we're, we're just so, we couldn't be more pleased with that kind of review. It's great. I, I would leave them with um, four things to be of service, which is something they can do immediately and it's based on the book. So, um, the first three points are related to the three dimensions of leadership. So ask yourself explicitly, like name, what is it that you need and want to do right now? And then ask yourself, are you exaggerating or discounting this threat or opportunity, or are you completely missing the point? So that's like, make sure you're doing stuff that matters. Second dimension is, which is Carol's great question, which is, who do you want to be right now? Do you want and need to be a leader that has perspective, is listening, has compassion? You know, who, who is it that you want to be as a person? And then the third dimension is, how do I need to relate to others in order for them to receive what I have to say and we can unlock possibilities together? So that would be that. And then in order to make those things happen, you know, the big problem that we've got today is that there is so much, um, you know, escalating uncertainty that even if you think of one way to win and to navigate through all this stuff, that's not enough. You have to have a backup and you need to have a backup to your backup. You need to get ahead of problems rather than, you know, responding and playing catch up, which is what most of us have been doing for the last three years. So it's always thinking through more than one way to win. So that's, that's what I would leave them with. Well, the, this is, this is what I would have hoped. Uh, this is, 
this is why I, I do think the, the timing and content of what you're bringing to the world is so important. I do think that our leaders um, need to be strategic, uh, and but they also need some very pragmatic strategies because of, like you say, how sometimes how complex and how fast things are moving. And so I, I just find what, what you two bring to the table to be just extremely relevant for the leaders in the educational field. And um, I, 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 I'm so thankful that someone I know sent me the power of options, right? And um, I am gonna continue to promote people to read this book, not because I work for you, because I don't, uh, I'm not your publicist. I just think it's relevant for what educational leaders right now. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for your time and I'm thankful for your work and your knowledge and your wisdom. And thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank okay. you for asking us. By all means, by all means. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, this is maybe a, a mic dropping moment. So I, I, I want you to think that um, as a leader, your job is not to get through the week. Your job is not even just to serve, because that's why you're there, that's your why, but sometimes you need very specific strategies, things that remind you of how to react when you're uh, in, in the midst of a challenge that you were not expecting, or even one that you were that's just so complex, there doesn't seem to be a silver bullet way out of the situation or be able to move forward, aligned to your ultimate goal. Well, there actually is, and there's a lot of incredible wisdom, and uh, I'm, I'm very appreciative for, for both Carol and David being with us today, as I know you are the same. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, be well.